This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This episode, our 199th overall, is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and at warfradio.com or you can just Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Our feature guest for this week is 2017 Adelaide Crows Premiership footballer and current co-captain of Sturt in the Sandford Women's Competition, Georgia Bevan. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. First of all, we begin by looking at the state leagues and grassroots footy. First of all, the Sanford Women's Competition will recommence its 2020 season this weekend, June 27th and 28th, when they kick off round five. Games are available via the Sanford Digital Pass for those who want to watch from outside South Australia. Also, the Adelaide Footy League Women's Competition will kick off with trial games this weekend and round one to take place the following week. The good news continues out of Western Australia, where it's state league level, the WAFL women's competition, which was due to kick off its COVID-affected season at the start of August, has been brought forward to now commence on July 18th. At a grassroots level, the Perth Football League will kick off its season in just over a week's time on Saturday the 4th of July. The fixture is now available at perthfootball.com.au Unfortunately, the news isn't good out of Victoria, though, due to a recent spike in COVID-19 cases. The Victorian Am- the Football Association has deferred its decision on whether a 2020 season will go ahead with announcement expected on or about July 6th. And if a season does begin, it'll be around July 25th to August 1st that that season kicks off. Meanwhile, in the western suburbs of Melbourne, the Western Region Football League has cancelled its senior men's and women's competitions for 2020. While up in the country, the Northern Country Women's League, which covers teams all the way from Kerrang through to Benalla, has cancelled its 2020 season. Here's chairman of the NCWL, Chris Thomas, speaking on Win New Shepparton. We took a survey and there was three uh, out of the eight teams that wanted to take part. And that's really not enough uh, to make a competition. No league or no club or no volunteer wants to carry the responsibility of uh, you know, having starting the virus. And um, so this is where we want to put all of our energies into planning for next year. At last, some good news for the AFL Women's Competition with the AFL Commission ratifying a recommendation by the Australian Football League Football Operations Department for no change to the current AFLW CBA and that next year's season, 2021, should commence in February with a nine-week home-and-away season before a three-week finals format. The North Melbourne Football Club have announced three delistings. They have not resigned Irish woman Mairead Schoeger and Tasmanian twins Libby and Chloe Haynes. They've also confirmed that Taylor Masidi has decided to step away from the game. And finally, overseas, AFL Canada will be having the second of its club development webinar series this weekend with building junior footy clubs and programs in Canada, hosted by Jared Moore from the Calgary Junior Australian Football Club. It's this Sunday, June 28th at 4 p.m. Canadian Eastern Time. And that's your latest women's footy news. So women's footy is finally back this weekend with the recommencement of the SANFL women's competition, which was stopped back in March after four rounds with the COVID-19 outbreak. We kick off with round five 
June 27th, 28th, and what a cracking game in that round. Sturt versus North Adelaide, fourth versus first, and our feature guest will be playing in that match. In fact, she is co-captain of Sturt. She won Sturt's club best and fairest last year, and also last year she played for Hawthorne in the VFLW. She won a number of flags and was formerly a president of Morphville Park in the SAWFL, and she's a member of the inaugural Adelaide Crows AFLW Premiership in 2017. She's an accredited sports dietitian and she runs her own business, Eclipse Fuel. It's great to have her on the line. We speak of Georgia Bevan. Bevo, how are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the line. And how does it feel to be restarting a football season? Very strange. It um it does feel like we've sort of had to do a second pre-season in the same year, which is a lot of hard work. But I think, you know, the girls are really excited to actually play some more games again. So it was a bit up in the air for a while there. We'll talk about in in a little bit later on the in-depth detail of how to build up a side again to restart a season, which mm. no one's ever had to do before. But let's go right back on your sports journey. Now, before you played Aussie Rules with uh, Morphville Park, am I correct that you've tried a bit of the following sports? Softball, baseball, swimming, netball, soccer, volleyball, surf lifesaving and lacrosse. Yeah, that sounds about right. Pretty much tried my hand at everything. I was a very active kid and luckily, you know, we had, um, I guess, those sort of resources close by so I could get myself around to all those sports, often two or three a season if I could. Now, if I'm correct, you were the baby of the family. You were the youngest and, and by quite a few years on your brother and sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, a lot of the time, were either taking me to sport, which was great, or they were teaching me, you know, to kick or throw, all those sorts of things. So they really threw me in the deep end at times. But, um, yeah, it was it was good kind of growing up in that sporting family and having their influence as well. And it's important that you say sporting family, because if I'm correct, your mother, Kay, represented Australia in softball. Yeah, that's correct. She was a, a fair gun on that. So it was my sister and then my brother played baseball as well. So he was sick of that too. So naturally you'd be thinking, right, you're on the path to softball and representing Australia. Where did the detour happen to partaking in Aussie rules and more importantly, the Morphville Park Football Club? Yeah, so I was pretty softball obsessed in my teenage years. I and even sort of into my later teenage years, going into uni was really pressing for, you know, open state teams and had always kind of had my aspirations to one day play for Australia, although softball was quite competitive in Australia. So it was it was always a challenge and I guess a bit of a stretch goal for me. But um, I played AFL in school, so we had knockout competitions and just like into school comps where you'd leave for the day and go play other teams. But um, I fell in love with it. It was literally the highlight of my term. I'd you know, rally up all my friends to go and play. And I had no idea that there was a competition outside of that. Um, I think it was 2010, I, I was involved in the under-18 state team. So they had the first, you know, the inaugural youth girls competition. So I put my hand up to trial for there. Had never actually played like a real game of football. I'd just been school footy um, and played in that carnival, made all Australian and sort of perked the ears of people who were playing in local clubs and they asked me out. So once I finished school in 2012, I went out um, and started playing in the local comp and um, played for Port for a couple of years just because I had a lot of state friends down there and then after a couple of years I moved down to Morphe's which is about five minutes from my house so um, I was pretty intimidated moving there because it was a really great club they were super competitive 
high standards and really pushed that kind of professionalism much before it was, I guess, the mainstream or thing to do. So I was nervous to move across, but it was, you know, the best decision I've ever made moving there. Let's talk about the Maltville Park and some of the legends through the club. The the biggest name of them all, Coach Norell Smith. What's it like working under a, an SA State women's football legend and, of course, currently involved with the Crows as we speak uh, as an assistant coach? Yeah, I found Norell you know, really great in terms of fostering young footballers and then lifting them up into that elite level. Um, she was a really strong mentor for me in those early days and she you know, gave me a lot of time in terms of developing my football and picking it up to the standards that I wanted it to be. In that in that stage, it was really hard because we didn't have, you know, things to aspire for. It was that state-level competition was um, what we were aiming for and she really, I guess, pushed for SA football to be developing. So she was, along with a lot of other pioneers at that time, working hard to kind of get girls to that elite standard so we could push for a national competition. Um, but, yeah, she really helped shape the Mothville Park Women's Football Club's program in terms of creating that elite pathway and, and enticing girls to move across and want to be a part of that groundswell. You know, we were known for working hard, driving elite standards, and she was at the forefront of that. You mentioned about those elite standards. How difficult is it to self-motivate yourself? Because we're talking in an era where at the best you could either aim for playing in the national championships, which was once every second year. And mind you, you had to pay your own way to play in these (laughs) national championships. And at the same time, this once-a-year exhibition match series was just starting to get going. Yeah, I think this is probably like a a really good representation of what women's sport has been for the the last 20 or 30 years. There weren't many sports that had a professional pathway and those that did, a lot of girls just stuck with that because they knew they might have a slim chance of of making a career out of it. So for those that were kind of stuck, um, I guess, playing footy, we played for the love of the game. You know, I, I fell in love with the freedom of football and the ability to kind of switch my brain off and just play in, in regards to kind of comparison to softball. But I I guess I just wanted to be the best player that I could be. And when I went to some of these state carnivals, and yes, I remember looking at the likes of Chelsea Randall and thinking, wow, I'd love to be as good as her one day or at least, you know, those skills and, and the things that she was doing on the field was something that I'd aspire to be like. So I think, you know, we, we had that love and that drive and just the passion for it. So when you have that passion, it, it's easy to be able to push yourself in your training and, and get the result on the field. You know, at least we had competition to play for here and we had that kind of state uh, pathway as well. But, yeah, it's probably really reflective of a lot of women's sports in that the ceiling's quite low um, the last couple of years, but we've kind of pushed that now, which is fantastic. A difficult question, but who was the best player you played alongside at Morpherville Park? Because you had going through there such names as SA State captain Courtney Cramey. You had future uh, Adelaide Crows teammate as well and uh, NAB AFLW rising star in the inaugural season, Ebony Marinoff. <laughs> you also had in there Danielle Godding, who was playing as a ruck, and she was actually taken as pick two in the exhibition draft for 2015. Christy Williams might try and squeeze her name in there, but she's just a commentator. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but but out of your mind, and, and all those great players that came through Morfittville Park, who was the greatest in your opinion? God, it's pretty hard to, to nail those down, I guess, when you go through the kind of people that we've had the pleasure of playing with. Um, we, we did have a stellar team for a while, so we've had a impressive lineup. I mean, you can't go past CJ. She was 
a real stalwart for, for SA footy and I think she sort of drove those standards early on in sort of changing her own lifestyle and her own goals and aspirations. So she was always someone that kind of set the standard for, you know, physical pressure and um, that elite standard as well. And then you've got the likes of Jenny Van Hagen, who exceptional athlete, would pull goals from sort of any pocket and, you know, was always really elite in her running. So playing along those kind of players. Um, and then obviously someone like Decox, who sort of started a similar time to me. Um, that's Dana Cox, by the way, a bit of a nickname there. Um, and she, you know, I, I thought that she really adapted to football quite well and, and really just got on board that elite standard. So playing with all those girls, you know, at the time, Noffy was up and coming. So she was always a surprise package and was shutting down, you know, some of our the best sample players, sorry, soulful players at that time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, CJ and Jenny were really up there with some of the best players that I'd played against at the Roos, or sorry, with. I'll quote Christy Williams here, who gave me uh, this little nugget uh, just a few minutes before the interview. When asking about Georgia Bevan, Christy said, Oh, she's the sweetest girl. Everyone absolutely loves her. Incredibly hard worker, too. Probably didn't enjoy a drink as much as more debaucherous Murphy, <laughs> Murphy players. Um, so if you're going to be that good, therefore they're going to make you club president. How did it feel to be in your early tw- 20s as a president of a football club? Yeah, I, I did sort of get thrown under <laughs> under the bus with that position. I um, I think probably being a bit more sensible and responsible, I, I probably was a bit older than my years and in my early 20s, but um, it was a massive step up. And for anyone who's run a football club or at least been involved in the committee level, it's a big responsibility. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, get the best out of that club. And just it was mainly just maintaining all the hard work that people had done before me. You know, I wasn't changing anything or creating new policies in that time. It was just purely maintenance. And, you know, I got a spy for a couple of years, but I was more than happy to handball that on to, you know, Andrew, who's um, at the forefront now and running the ship. But, you know, it was a lot of learning opportunities, a lot of teamwork, organisation, and what you know, obviously, if you've ever been like a president or at the front of something, is that you really are just taking the responsibility, but there's so many people doing the hard work underneath you to make your job a lot easier. Did that help in your pursuit of trying to start your own business with Eclipse Fuel? Obviously, around this time, you've just gone through university, you're becoming an accredited sports dietitian. Is it all this day-to-day running a football club give you a better insight on all the paperwork and everything you need to do to be able to run Eclipse Fuel? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a good learning opportunity. So I was doing that through my last kind of couple of years of uni and then wanting to start my own business, but also, you know, I was doing that on the side of, of being employed in corporate health as well. So um, I think, you know, being across what, you know, even just a spreadsheet of it, like losses and profit was a big one to learn about. Very simple, but when you haven't looked at that stuff before, it can be quite overwhelming. So it just more showed me the importance of organisation. I was already quite organised, but knowing everything and being across all aspects of your business is really important. It's easy to do as a sole trader at the moment, so it's more about creating that kind of scale opportunities for future. We'll talk in a moment's time about uh, the work that you've done uh, with Sporting Clubs with Eclipse Fuel. But as we start to get the ball rolling and build up towards AFLW for you, in your second year of club football, you were selected uh, for the Open State team, which travelled to Cairns. Uh, and despite being only 20, you were given the op- the honour of being a vice-captain of South Australia. Then also leading into the AFLW, you took part in the uh, SA exhibition game at um, Adelaide Oval. Your uh, fellow Morphe 
Coffeyville Park teammate there in uh, Ebony Marinoff was the best on ground for SA Blue. You were best on ground for SA Red. So at that point, how are you feeling as we're starting to lead up to this inaugural AFLW draft? Yeah, it was a really interesting time um, in 2016 because it wasn't probably until, oh gosh, around that kind of exhibition match, even a bit after that, they confirmed the competition was being brought forward. So I was just trying to put myself in the best stead to get selected for you know, the state competitions, but also for the exhibition matches with Melbourne and Western Bulldogs. That was kind of my aspirations at that point. And then, you know, the AFLW draft got thrown in the mix and it just felt like, you know, a lot of hard work had been put forward just for that moment in time to kind of everything fall into place. So I was really excited about what was going to happen. But even going into the draft, I wasn't 100% sure what was going to happen. You know, it was a lot of unknown and um, I guess just a wait and see situation as well. Do you remember that moment your name got called out? Yeah, I was watching with my partner, Ryan. We had it live streamed at home. Um, and I remember just getting really you know, emotional. It had a little tear of excitement, I think, with, you know, I'd put my heart and soul into a lot of my sports over the years and sacrificed, you know, social life, <laughs> a lot of actually of my own career and things like that. And so being able to, to be a professional athlete was a dream come true um, and, then be able to sort of live out that childhood dream of, of getting paid to do what you love. So it was a big relief, but I was also really excited for what was to come. So you're with the Adelaide Crows, first ever training session. You're under Beck Goddard, a new coach, and it's an unusual environment for Adelaide because you had that partnership with the Northern Territory. So part of your group is actually training away in Darwin. What is that like having to meet your teammates in a way just before match day because they've been training away from you and then obviously trying to make everything click on the day. Yeah, so we had spent a lot of time, I guess, building those relationships. That was the real focus in 2017 was creating that bond as quickly as we can. We knew we didn't have the time to sort of, you know, be awkward or the usual things when you're meeting teammates. So we really just dived into those uncomfortable situations and conversations as early as we could. So we had the first meeting, which was induction before the season started. And then we had a camp before Christmas, which was really important in kind of building those bonds. Um, and then we had another camp um, in early, late January, yeah, before the, the first couple of games. So we really got to know each other. And there was a lot of emphasis on on staying connected via phone and, and messages. And the girls would also come down to Adelaide. So I think Beck did an amazing job in, in creating really positive relationships and, and that's something that obviously showed in, in the way that we played as well. I'm talking about trying to build new friendships. Out of the Adelaide-based crew, there's a few players, that, well, most of the players you had played with or against in mm-hmm. the Sawfield yep. competition. But I'm going to name four players that... Um, you'd that you had to try and build a new friendship with. There was Sarah Perkins, who's just come across from Victoria. At the time, she was third on the Victorian goal-kicking list as well. She was just a handy footballer mm. and was surprised she wasn't picked up. You had your then two marquee players, which were Chelsea Randall and Callie Gibson, who would have represented WA, who you would have played against. And now they're your teammates. And there's this sports person who's come into the side, apparently was as good as a junior, but no one knew how she'd go in senior women's football. This You've probably just heard of her now, Erin Phillips. <laughs> What's it like trying to build, um, you know, friendships and relationships with these newbies that have come to Adelaide? Yeah, I think 
with those kind of players. Obviously, Erin living here, we know about her not much, not much personally. So um, the other players is more about making them feel welcome. So Kelly and Chelsea came over um, about June, July, because obviously that once they were announced as marquees, actually came over and played. Um, in our local league for a couple of games and just got to know some of the girls with, with training sessions and things. So Kelly came over quite early, but I just made more of an effort to connect with them on a personal level and, and try and grow those friendships. Um, you know, Sarah Perkins and well, actually a lot of the girls are all very close, but you know, she's like second, second family to me. She, uh, we put her up. Um, for some living situation in, in our house for that second, um, for the third season, sorry. And, you know, she's just a fantastic girl, really works hard. And um, I'm really happy to see that she's got another opportunity at Melbourne. And then, you know, Erin is just such a unique personality. She's incredibly hardworking and, and quite private. But, you know, once you get to know her, she's really caring. And I think she really just amplifies what it's like to be an elite athlete. She's really showed us that. You know, after what, how many years she's been in the elite system for 10, 15, God knows how long that that's kind of what your body ends up like. That's the performance that you can expect if you just are consistent and work hard. So all those girls brought so much to our program and we're really lucky to, to have been involved with them and create those friendships that, you know, last beyond the football games we play together. Despite all the sports that you've played through as a junior and, and wanting to push yourself to the next elite level, what does it feel like going through that first season when you're making the jump up from amateur, kick the ball around the park football to now we're in a semi-professional environment? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was the intensity and the pressure to perform at all times. Like you couldn't really afford to have a bad training session or let work interfere with what was happening at training or on the field. So the biggest thing was just that pressure and really just what you put on yourself and the expectations you have on yourself. I think that was probably my biggest downfall was letting, you know, that mental game take over and, and sort of controlling how I felt on the field or in training sessions. But um, I do, I could have been playing softball up until the time I was contracted. So I was juggling both um, and had been for a couple of years. So my, my overall training load didn't necessarily increase. It was just that intensity and, you know, directiveness and focus on one thing. And, and I felt like, you know, times coming back from pre-season, I'd be working in the afternoon and wanting to crawl under my desk and go to sleep. I was so exhausted. So I'd finish up work for the day, have a quick nap and go to training. It was just incredibly exhausting and something I hadn't probably experienced before but um, kind of every preseason since then has been that a little bit easier because you at least know what to expect. So the first season things go roaringly well for Adelaide you <laughs> managed to sneak into the top two which goes through to the grand final just managing to keep out Melbourne here you are on this big day at Metricon Stadium a neutral ground in a way as much as it's held in <laughs> Queensland. How does it feel that you're lining up at fullback in the inaugural AFLW Grand Final, and this is the competition you're against. This is the defensive, oh, sorry, the forward six for Brisbane that you're up against. Of course, in your back six, you've got the helmet, Heather Anderson alongside you, that famous pink helmet. Talia Radden, who you'd end up playing with at Hawthorne, uh, she'd be alongside you in the other pocket. Future Crows uh, AFLW Club Best and Fairest, Anne Hatchard, would be at the halfback flank. At centre halfback, Danny Van Hagen. Uh, Angela Foley would be on the other halfback flank. You you're trying to guard against this combination. You've got the Talls in Taylor Harris and Sabrina frederick Traub. And if that's not a handful, then at their feet on the flank, you've got the Speedsters and Caitlin Ashmore and Kate McCarthy. Then you've got Jordan Member in one pocket and the wily Jess Wuchner in the other pocket. What kind of a challenge was that day? Yeah, it was um, incredibly challenging having to come up against Brisbane again. Um, 
I think Beck and stuff are probably setting up a bit of a, um, a situation where you put the players in one position and they end up playing somewhere else. So a few of us didn't end up playing in that back line, but I rotated through the wing and I'm ball in the, the back pocket throughout most of my career. Adelaide played pretty much every position, but um, you know that day in particular, I just remember having a really strong feeling that we were going to win. Um, I don't, couldn't tell you what it was, but I knew coming out to the day that the girls were on fire, that we were mentally ready. Every element of that day, every quarter, I just thought, we are, we've got this, we're, we're going to win. So, um, you know, it was a really exciting game. I felt like we kind of rose to the challenge and, and laid the foundations early for what was going to be a really, obviously, special occasion in the end. But it was incredibly nerve-wracking at all times. But um, probably one thing I'll look back on in maybe 50 years when I have the, the opportunity and think of what a unique situation it was. It must have been um, a hair-raising last minute or two in that game. You end up winning by a goal. You only kicked two points in that last quarter. Brisbane were coming home with a bit of a wet sail, but they couldn't score. They only kicked one goal too. They were struggling to get it on the board. What's it like in in those final moments where you're trying to hold, you're trying to hold, it's almost yours, but they're coming? Yeah, it was. It actually makes me really nervous even thinking about it or watching the footage back. I just remember that feeling of just, you know, you you almost kind of stomachs in the bottom of your mouth. You feel like you're gonna um, absolutely just burst from from nerves. But it, it got to a point where we were just running out of players. Like people were cramping for both teams. It was just everybody putting their body on the line, um, and we were running out of bench. So I don't think we would have lasted if it had to have gone to you know the the golden point or whatever the next step is if it is a draw. So we were just all you know pushing ourselves to the limits to finally get over the line and. Um, yeah, I guess when that final siren when it was just absolute relief. <laughs> I guess that's the question everyone gets asked, is it ecstasy or a relief? But as you stated, it is a relief holding on. But being crowned the inaugural premier is something that no one can take that away from you. I look at Wikipedia and the best players for that day. Each side has their six best players named. Obviously, Aaron Phillips was best on ground and we know got the medal. Uh, but how does it feel to be named alongside Randall, Marinoff, Cramey and Gibson? as part of the best six players that day? Yeah, I, I remember um, actually not even... I never really look at stats of best players, but I remember looking back at that in, in one of the books we got given of the season. And um, I just felt really proud of my performance on the day. I was really mentally focused and probably one of the, the best games, obviously, AFW I played, but it was, you know, it wasn't anything special. And I think that's probably what I, I pride myself on is is trying to play my role and, and do the hard work and do the things that aren't, aren't as well celebrated often or unnoticed. So I was really happy that I just, you know, was consistent in that game and did my role for the team and, and we got the win. But, um, yeah, I guess that's something special as well to, to reflect on and, and appreciate that hard work and um, being in the best on that day as well. You talk about looking back uh, 50 years from now, but in all seriousness, in about seven years' time, you're going to have your 10-year reunion for the inaugural AFLW Premiership. And then 10 years after that, you'll have your 20, and then your 30, and so on. How does that sit with you, knowing that for years to come, you've got these reunions to come back to? Yeah, it's actually not something I've thought about before. I, I think I, you know, see the boys doing the same and think that's a really nice and special occasion to celebrate. And obviously the, the Crows themselves have their own uh, review recently in the last couple of years. But I think that'll be a great opportunity to to reconnect with all these people that, you know, you gave so much for, um, you know, 
sacrifice life occasions and things for that sort of six to 12 month period and you were rewarded for that effort I think it's going to be a really special time and something that you know hopefully be able to talk to your kids about and your grandkids as the years go on and explain why you're going to these occasions all the time but yeah it's crazy to be part of such a significant moment in history. So over your career with the Adelaide Crows, two seasons, 13 games, one goal. Do you remember your goal? Yeah, actually I do because I um, remember that game in Darwin. Oh, when it, when we lost, that was quite defeating. But I actually remember thinking, I was, I was sitting on the 50-metre arc and um, seeing a bit of sort of a scuffle going on in terms of the ball coming out. And I remember thinking, I reckon if this comes to me, which I think it is going to, I'm going to kick the goal. And um, I'd actually kicked a point moments earlier and just missed, but... This one, yep, as I sort of imagined, came rolling out to me and I put it on the boot and I don't kick goals very often, so I was pretty excited. <laughs> we'll have more of our chat with former Adelaide Crows footballer and current Sturt co-captain Georgia Bevan right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. In Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're currently chatting with former Adelaide Crows AFLW footballer and current Sturt co-captain... Georgia Bevan. So at the end of the 2018 season, here comes the tough uh, news because it will face a handful of AFLW players at some stage. As the rules pertain at the moment, generally about seven players have to be delisted at the end of each year. Some can be immediately resigned, some retaken in the draft and, and so forth. You get the news at the end of 2018, despite 13 out of a possible 15 games that you've played that thank you, but we no longer require your services. How, how does that sit with you, that moment, and then what do you try and do to refocus your goals going forward after that news? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Getting delisted sucks. <laughs> it's probably um, one of those things in your brain when you're playing, it's the worst possible scenario. But, um, you know, when it happens, you you know, you know have those conversations with the club and I'd, I'd actually been close to get redrafted come September um, and had you know good feedback about how I was going and then I think they just changed the way that they were going with their list planning and it, it didn't work in my favour and, and that's kind of elite sport. It's pretty brutal at times and um, I remember you know finding out definitely I wasn't going to get picked back up by the Crows and it was a little bit late to kind of connect with any other clubs, obviously Geelong and um, uh, North were coming in at that point, yeah. And honestly, I think sometimes it's just, it's just the timing of things. I think had I managed to stick around even for another year and, and then maybe get delisted the year after, I would have had so many more opportunities to, you know, just people giving you a chance. I think when you've, um, you know, <laughs> my age, I'm like 27, so I'm not even old, but this is just the system we're in with AFL. And um, I remember, yeah, finding out that I was definitely not getting picked up and just being absolutely gutted, I think, is probably the best description but only for a moment, I really just let myself be sad for, I think, I gave myself about an hour and then I thought for the first time in my life I wanted to give up on something and remembered how much I enjoyed football and that 
you know, I, I'm probably not going to let just this opportunity hold me back from being the best I can. I know I could be a better footballer and that I actually had more to give to the game. So I motivated myself to continue training. I stayed as a trainer with the Crows that, that season. So I actually juggled doing about four or five sessions a week with both Sturt um, and the Crows. And, and I felt really welcomed and a part of that group still, even though I wasn't listed. So um, that was a really positive outcome. But yeah, getting delisted absolutely sucks. But I think probably the, the worst part of it is it's not you that you think about. It's you know, the impact of your family, your friends, what are people going to think? And, and when you work out that people actually don't really care that much, you know, they, they like you or they love you for, for so many other reasons that, you know, you, you then can move forward and can start thinking about what those next goals are. So in 2019, you refocus yourself and uh, you end up taking out the best and fairest at Sturt. Now, you've had the opportunity playing at Moorfield Park to see the SAWFL standard and obviously playing with the Crows, the AFLW standard. Where do you rate where the Sandville women's standard is at the moment after having a season and a bit so far in the Sandville W competition? Yeah, I think it's a, a quite high standard comp. I think, you know, last year in particular, we had, you know, some girls fly in and want to be a part of it with Naj Allen and, and um, Hannah Dunn as well. And I think the standard was quite high across across the league. And I think that is reflective of how many girls got picked up from last season to other clubs as well as Adelaide. Um, and I think this year it's a, you know, similar standard. There's obviously... Um, Probably the talent pool still needs to be built up, but I think that margin's getting a lot smaller from the best to the the lowest on the on the list. So um, I was really impressed with the the competition. It's definitely no work walk in the park. So we've got a lot of AFLW girls coming back to play now that the season's been postponed, and um, I think they might be in for a bit of a shock for like the skill level and actually the execution of teams and just the the general drive and um, want to be better and to excel. We'll come back in a moment's time to how the Sturt squad is looking for the restart of the 2020 season. But after being best and fairest in uh, 2019, what planted the seed in the head to go, you know what, I'm going to go over to Victoria and I'm going to play between half a dozen to a dozen games with Hawthorne in the VFLW? Yeah, I was, um, I'd seen a few people kind of go over there in, in between. And it's not something I'd ever thought I could do, I guess. You know, I have a life here and worked pretty hard to build that up. But Sarah Perkins contacted me and said, you know, we've got a few AFW girls that were really lacking, you know, strong support for our midfield. We've got a few girls in there, but they really just need some, some extra help. And I thought, oh, I'll have conversations with, you know, what I'm doing at the moment. And I managed to kind of create a scenario where I could go over there for five weeks of like a solid block of time and did some flying in and out after that and it was yeah the best decision I've made in the last couple of years I absolutely loved my time at Hawthorne and it just gave me a new perspective of the game obviously as you've touched on you know I've been involved in a few state programs and things and I think you get coached by really similar people for a long time and so to have that new perspective and new ideas and just a different focus was really refreshing for me and I, I felt like it really helped me take my game to the next level. What's it like trying to step 
almost into a pseudo-leadership role straight away at Hawthorne because they had a, a vacuum of leadership leave their club. And I talk about, and there were also midfielders as well, in Melissa Dutchie, Kais and Emma Mackey, simply because they had been uh, signed to the Saints in the AFLW. So they thought they wanted to get across there, get embedded there before the Saints debuted in 2020. What's it like having to jump in straight away, the new person, but in a way, having to, like Tamara Luke's with you alongside in the midfield, trying to coach in a way, coach on the ground these new younger players to try and come to your standard? I think, you know, it, it makes it really easy when that club had worked so hard on its culture. It pretty much was an AFW program and still is. Um, I honestly couldn't fault anything about the program and what they bring to the table. So they created a culture where everybody's involved in making that team better. Um, and so i you know, they were incredibly welcoming. I felt like I got to know everybody really quickly. And I never go into any situation thinking that I'm, you know, going to be better than anyone else or that I'm, I'm going to be a leader, I guess. I just focus on making those around me better and making myself better. And I really, you know, flourish with being able to communicate with people. And I think I just lead by example at times. So, um, you know, they had some credible leaders with, you know, Rosie and Lou Wadden and, um, Meg Hutchins and, and they gave me perspectives of, of some different types of leadership as well. So it was great to be able to kind of go over there and, and interact and develop some of the younger players and just give them the support. Um, but they, you know, had a staff started sort of line up as, re- as well. So it made my job a lot easier. So you've finished your 2019 experience with Hawthorne. What do you think, or how do you think it made you a better player coming out of that season of playing in the VFLW to prepare for 2020 in the Sandville W and also to be co-captain of Sturt? Yeah, I think for the first time in a long time, I got to just play one position. So I guess for the last two, three, four years, I'd sort of been thrown around a few different positions and moulded into sort of, sort of different players to suit different teams. So I guess with the Crows, sometimes that meant a different position every quarter and I found it really challenging to really maximise one position at a time and get the most out of, of that. You know, I'd only really been playing football for, I think, total now, like seven, seven or eight years, but it's such a steep learning curve when you get to that elite level that, I miss a lot of that middle stuff that you get to learn when you're probably a boy in 15 or 16 running through those junior ranks. So I felt like I, I learned a lot more about, you know, some key midfield um, positioning, using my body more, understanding my role. I played more of a, I'm naturally more of a defensive kind of person anyway. So really kind of played to my strengths and, and focused on keeping it simple and, um, I guess, you know, being a bit more consistent, which is what I've tried to take into the start of the sample this year. And I actually thought I succeeded at that and playing just more consistent continually, which is what I'm going to focus on for this next half of the season. And talking about focusing on the next half of the season, your coach, uh, Bruce Dawes, uh, mentioned to the Sanford website that you benefit from the COVID-19 break after having to uh, struggle off a bit of a lingering thigh strain. Yeah, yeah. So... I um, was doing a little too much in, in pre-season and um, it got to, I think, the week before the season. I just pulled up a little bit sore from a corky um, from one of our trial games and played basically the four, first four weeks um, with a, a compression bandage over my thigh. Still kind of managing that. It's just a lot better. I'm not getting pain anymore, but essentially every time I kicked the ball, I had um, quite deep pain in my quad. So I was 
basically using my left foot as much as I could at training, which has propelled that upwards. Um, it's, it's always been relatively safe, but now it's it's almost onto that elite level of kicking, I think. But the yeah, the quads definitely healed up, which has worked yeah worked in my favour in terms of not having to stress about that and and having excessive physio. So my week was pretty much. You know, go to the physio after the game on sort of that Monday after not pretty not much not being able to walk on Sunday. Um, managing my training load, so not really kind of doing the team training sessions, just trying to get through and then strapping it up and hoping for the best come the weekend. <laughs> well, another player has actually also benefited from the break was uh, your half forward in Kate Harris. Uh, she's recovered actually from a broken finger that she suffered uh, back in round four, which is in a strange way to say about three months ago. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually fractured my own finger in December. So we've been um, finger buddies, we've been finger buddies talking about our progress. But she, um, poor thing, just kind of got a, a weird knock on it, and yeah, was really worried that she'd sort of miss a good chunk of the rest of the season. But as soon as she started that process of what you know, how many games she might miss, the season got put on hold, and she's you know back to kind of full health with it now. So um, it's really good to have her back to that kind of capacity because she's such a strong tackler and physical presence in our forward line and such a hard worker. So I think we'd really be missing her if she wasn't going to be out in the field. You will be missing one player, though, and that's because she's returned to America. You had a basketball convert in Stephanie Ratliff who, because of COVID-19, elected to go home. Yeah, it was really sad to hear Steph having to leave. You know, she, as much as obviously bringing a very big physical presence, she was ginormously tall, so tall. But she also was such a lovely person and I think really got along well with a lot of the girls. And um, obviously we have quite a young side, so she was a really good leader in that sense and just so eager to learn. So had a big learning curve herself to to get on top of rules and things like that. But I think she, you know, she did a really good job to, to learn the rules of the game, do some extra, and then obviously having to juggle life as a basketballer as well. Talking about those exciting young players, first of all, uh, Izzy Cooper, um, who was uh, nominated and, and got the Powerade Breakthrough Player uh, for round three in your first win of the season. Yeah, she's a fantastic little player. Uh, I think Izzy put, um, a lot of physical pressure for our midfield. You know, when she is firing, it just makes, you know, Maya, my job a lot easier because she can lock down some of those other um, more prominent midfielders that we play against. She's always in and under and um, getting the hard balls and then, you know, working hard to, to you know, free up herself uh, down the field as well. So she's going to be an exciting player to see develop over the next couple of years. And as much as you miss Stephanie Ratliff, who will be taking over in the ruck is a 16-year-old in Zoe Prowse, who uh, in your last hit-out back in round four against uh, Central District, 23 disposals, 20 hit-outs and 10 clearances and a goal. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty pretty remarkable, Zoe. And one of those young players that we're definitely going to see on the AFLW list in a couple of years, she's just... Her athleticism is far beyond anyone that I've seen, obviously, as a, a ruck or a tall. We don't usually expect much from them, but she's incredibly athletic. She will, you know, tap it to herself if she has to and play on. So I think that's how she racked up so many disposals and, and hit outs. She just grabbed it and ran from the ruck. So that rule change has really worked in her favour. But, um, you know, with the, the time away and, and having that lockdown, we've been able to develop our game plan a little more around now having her in the ruck. So that's 
it hopefully will play out in our favour. We'll have more of our chat with Sturt co-captain and former Adelaide Crows AFLW footballer Georgia Bevan right after this. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football Online via your favourite podcast platform and via digital radio in Melbourne on RSN Carnival, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. We're currently chatting with Sturt co-captain and former Adelaide Crows AFLW footballer, Georgia Bevan. So let's go back. Round four has just been completed. This was in March. At that stage, you had two wins, two losses. You lost against West Adelaide and South Adelaide, who are just above you on the ladder. You then had two wins against the Eagles and the Bulldogs. All of a sudden, you start to, okay, the season's going. We're building momentum. Then everything stops for COVID-19. <laughs> we, we, were, we roughly have something like about a two, two and a half month window until we're told season back on again. What's the communication like at that stage between uh, Bruce and the squad of trying to plan something, not knowing is the season going to recommence? Is it just going to be called off and you go back to the Adelaide Footy League? What's that weird two-month period like? It was very strange. (laughs) It was obviously a situation we might not see for another 100 years, but we just had to do our best to keep the girls reassured. Um, I really felt so sorry for our coaching staff to have to manage, you know, what, 40 girls and them asking a million questions that they had no answers to. And I think, you know, for a lot of us, the worst thing was the uncertainty. I guess with our season meant to be finishing, you know, end of May, we're meant to be all done by now. And then still being on hold at that time, it was really challenging mentally to, to continue to keep everybody engaged and, and ask so much of them. You know, we're not getting paid for it. It's a lot of time to sacrifice, but, you know, I'm so proud of the girls for just, you know, they stuck to it. We had programming and running, so we had a bit of time off in those first couple of weeks, and we definitely know we weren't playing. So, you know, we just asked girls to rehabilitate those that needed to, like myself, and then for everybody else, it was just, you know, keep your fitness up, keep your strength up as much as you can. Um, And then, you know, throughout that time period, we had Zoom workouts once a week. So we'd all jump on Zoom and one of us would create a little workout session um, and we'd be able to do all that together. We kept in touch with chat um, and then we, you know, organised some some training sessions on the weekends for when we could go back to to start, you know, in small groups, kicking the footy and running together. So the girls did an awesome job. You know, I I really credit to them for just working really hard in the, face of so much uncertainty um, and hopefully it'll, it'll pay off for us um, in this weekend. And what's the build-up been like over the last few weeks as the restrictions have eased in South Australia to be able to, from training in separate groups to training back together again to getting all your fitness and game plan up to be, okay, we're switched on, we've got a game of football Saturday? Yeah, it's it's been really quick actually. I felt like 
time has absolutely flown. So it was about mid-May that we were allowed to start back together, but it was in small groups and only 45 minutes. And that felt really challenging to kind of get out and maximize that intensity. But I quite enjoyed that that time period because I felt like we really got a good set of skill base back into the girls. And, and my biggest concern was always injury risk and putting girls under pressure that, you know, they might you know, do a hammy or something like that coming back into the season too quickly. So I felt like we had a really good build up. Um, and then those first couple of weeks flew by and we were back into the 20 um, groups of 20 and then having contact. And that was a really big step up in intensity and just, you know, general body soreness as well. So um, I was really happy personally that my body held up um, for that ramp up and I've, I've been really good since then but you know the girls have just worked really hard and made the most of the short time that we do have and then doing the extras um, on the sides to kind of build that fitness up. What's different about this Sandfall W season not only restarting after a several months break is that we know that Crows AFLW players were technically allocated to the squads in February and March and that is if you're not playing in the AFLW you can drop back and play in a Sandfall game but it wouldn't be the full Crows naturally coming back because 20 odd would have to fly and go wherever they've got to play. But because they've now obviously had the same amount of break as you have, they've been permitted to go in and play in the uh, statewide Super Women's League. I look around at some of the names. Glenelg are going to get a boost. They've got the likes of Marinoff, Jones and Van Hagen coming back. South Adelaide getting the likes of Campbell, McKinnon and Gore coming back. West Adelaide is going to be stocked up with Stevie Lee Thompson, Maddie Newman, Chelsea Biddle, uh, Rochelle Martin. Renee Fort's going to be over at Woodville West Torrent. Everywhere's getting players... Sturt's the only one where you don't have a single <laughs> AFLW player coming to your squad. Yeah, it was um, interesting finding out that news. I think a lot of those girls were allocated back in um, 2019, I believe, and even in 2018 when they did a bit of a mini draft. And that's how I ended up at Sturt, for example. So, um, you know, we've had internal conversations about, oh, I guess, what that means for us and, and what the season might look like. But I guess we've just, got to take it as is we can't change it and it would have been great if sample could have logically looked at that listing and you know considered what that might look like for the competition but it is what it is and we can't change it so we really focused on as i said we've got a very young list so we've got to really focus on their confidence and what they can gain from the experience you know a lot of them might have aspirations to be drafted so what better opportunity than to play against the least best you know that that's all we can say for them is that we just got to give our all. We've got to try as hard as we can. And I, I try to explain, you know, from my perspective, coming back into a sample comp, there's a lot of pressure to perform. So we don't have that pressure. We can play with freedom. It doesn't matter if we make mistakes. We can try as hard as possible. And if it doesn't go to plan, then we need to know if we've done our best. So that's the kind of messaging that we're focusing on. Um, like I said, it, it is what it is and hopefully we'll, we'll be competitive. That's all I really ask of the girls is just to go out there and give your all and, and hopefully we can clock another win on the board or at least know that we've, we've done the hard work to develop our program for future seasons. Now, as of five days ago, the fixture was looking like this, and I know that the fixture has actually disappeared, or at least for round five and onwards, has disappeared from the Sandford W website. I don't know if this will mean change of times or change of venues or even change teams because you were due to play each other uh, at least uh, once. Um, Mm. But as of five days ago... It meant that Saturday, 27th of June, you were going to be playing at Peter Motley Oval on your home deck. So that's great news at 11.50 in the morning. 
The other news is you're playing the top side, North Adelaide. <laughs> North Adelaide have only got one AFLW player. They just happen to have got the Crows' best AFLW player at the moment in Anne Hatchard. How does it feel, I guess, walking straight into the Lions' den? OK, we're back, we're on, we're hitting the top side immediately. And there could be every chance, knowing that you're tackling prowess through playing for Hawthorne in the VFLW, you could be thrown into a lockdown role on Anne Hatchard. Yeah, I'm actually excited to, to get stuck into the top side. I think we're in a better place than what we were in um, coming into round five before the season finished. I think this extra time we've given our girls the opportunity to, to learn the game plan a little more, how we like to play football and just to build their confidence in, in a lot of areas. So I'm really looking forward to the challenge. Um, you know, obviously Anne's an incredible athlete, incredible player. So being able to line up against her, that would be something that I would actually quite enjoy. I like being able to test myself against the league's best. And um, I'm not sure if positionally we'll end up lining up. Obviously, we're in the midfield, but, you know, we might play different roles for our team. So we'll see how that ends up, um, you know, and I'm, I'm usually the one getting tagged in, in Sandful, so it would be nice to do it to someone else once. <laughs> and uh, if it does go ahead on Saturday, June 27th, 11.50 Adelaide time, uh, it will be uh, live streamed on the uh, Sandful Digital Pass, which uh, no doubt quite a lot of Victorians will be watching on, not only watching you, but watching with envy because the VFLW season uh, officially was cancelled, replaced by an exhibition series. You haven't fielded uh, any phone calls from Victorians, have you? Just going, look, if you've got a sneaky spot, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're keen for a game. Yeah, I did think about hitting up some of those Hawthorne girls and seeing if they wanted to have a role down here, but I'm um, not sure if they'd be let back in or want to go back to Victoria at this stage. They probably want to stay here and enjoy the freedom. But, um, yeah, I was expecting a few phone calls, but I think, you know, the teammates from Hawks are looking forward to watching um, us play on the weekend. Talia Adam will be playing for, for North as well, so it'll be interesting to play against her for once because I am usually lining up with her on the same same team so um, yeah it should be an interesting outlook I guess for them to be able to watch the sample they probably don't get this opportunity very often so it'll be interesting to see their kind of perspective on on the league. I'll talk about Eclipse Fuel for a moment as, as we said you're a, a accredited sports dietitian and nutritionist uh, you've done a little bit of work, actually, with the Adelaide Crows Junior Academies, helping set something up for that. Can you talk about, I guess, the everyday life for you as a dietitian and nutritionist, and as well as having to balance what you're doing with your own small business when, like last year, you were moving interstate as well? Yeah, it's definitely something that I've gotten better at over the last couple of years. I was pretty lucky for um, when I came out of uni, I landed a corporate health job, so that was pretty stable in terms of some part-time and full-time work there. I was doing my business on the side, but as of um, October last year, I've been completely my own business and running my own hours as a sole trader. And, um, you know, day in the life for me sort of looks like getting up early. Um, my partner and I take the dogs for a walk and I'm usually jumping on the computer about seven-ish. I really thrive on early time and getting um, work done early so then I can maybe do a lunchtime run or gym session. Um, and then we usually have training at night. So, um, during the day, I'm just getting as much work as I can done. So I have a few different hats. Obviously, I do the the work with the clubs. So this year, I've worked with the A4W program as well, which has been really enjoyable to be able to connect with those girls and, and kind of share my own experiences and what works as sort of that inside knowledge as an athlete. Um, continued with the academies as well. And then I've done some work with West Torrens with their league team. 
Um, and then that they're more like ad hoc stuff. So I do that around my normal hours in private practice as well. I've got about four different clinics I work from. And then I've recently just got a, a new role as um, a casual sort of philanthropist for some of the private practice dietitians, um, so private hospital dietitians. So I'm pretty busy. <laughs> but, um, you know, in terms of juggling that with, with my athletic pursuits, I guess it just comes back to that passion. You know, I think if I wasn't playing football, I might be running triathlons or doing CrossFit or, you know, pushing myself physically because I think those experience, um, you know, with your training and, and your physical pursuits, I think they really show you how much you can push yourself and how much you can get done. So having those goals and aspirations really maximizes my brain capacity and ability to perform in my work as well. So regardless of whether I'd be playing footy or not, I'd be, you know, pushing myself in some sort of aspect and juggling that with, with my work. And you would know it best being a part-time athlete, but as you set up a plan as a sports dietitian for a team, for an individual athlete, how much of a change is there when you focus on a full-time athlete and a part-time athlete? A full-time athlete is not only always at the clubs, they will generally have the clubs, the club will cater for them. So essentially they'll just walk into the kitchen canteen, grab whatever and away they go. Compared to the part-time athlete who's only at the club a few days a week and because they're balancing work, like you are, you're very time poor. So you may not have that, that time to be able to do that food prep yeah I think that's probably the biggest difference and and what's really challenging for AFLW and pretty much most women's sports is that they are part-time and girls have to kind of manage their time with with other work or they're doing their training outside of hours to, to fit it in and I think that preparation aspect something that I focus on a lot with athletes and building their skills and knowledge into how to keep it really simple but still tick their goals off. So we spend a lot of time basically just learning about components of a meal and how that's going to help their performance. So, you know, carbs are energy source and focusing on that around training and then getting their veggies in at other times and really trying to keep the process as simple as possible because athletes don't need anything more on their plate. Um, and I found that kind of the best approach, especially from what my experience is being an athlete and juggling that part-time athlete and work life but also with the ones that I've worked with too and you can find more information by the way by going to eclipsefuel.com and including a few blogs there such as uh, your guide to a balanced lunchbox and leftover barbecue chicken noodle bowl Yes, many of us have had leftovers, so that could be a handy guide. Check out eclipsefuel.com. Yeah, <laughs> um, Georgia, for yourself personally, as an athlete, what are your plans going forward as we have, hopefully, AFLW 2021 and so on? Yeah, I, you know, I'm still putting my hat in the mix and hoping to, to get drafted, who knows where, but um, that's something that I'll just, I guess, keep working for until someone finally tells me to give up, but... I'm not one to, to give up myself, so I'll keep working hard. You know, I've really worked hard on certain aspects of my game that I felt were a deficit, and it, one thing in particular was endurance, and that's something that I have worked really hard over COVID as well. So I'm, I'm excited to actually come out um, and finish this next half of the season and hopefully showcase a bit more of that consistency that I was working on at the start of the year. and. You know, I can only do my best and, and hopefully someone gives me a chance in, in that regard. And one last question before we let you go, like we've asked everyone who's played the game at the highest level, what does it mean for you when you sit down at the computer, you type in your name, Georgia Bevan, and up pops a Wikipedia page that says Georgia Bevan, AFLW footballer? 
was pretty surreal. Um, I used to call myself a D-grade celebrity. I'm definitely nowhere near famous, so it's interesting having a Wikipedia page. But you know, with that that kind of presence, I you know really take great pride in, in being a role model and being able to um, you know demonstrate to women that you, you can sort of do it all. But it, it does take that hard work. So it's surreal, but it's a, a responsibility that's nice to have as well. Well, Georgia, thanks once again for being so very generous with your time and joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Double Blues all the very best through the restarted Sandville Women's Campaign for 2020. And fingers crossed for you for the 2020 AFLW Draft in October when we think it will happen. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been a lovely chat and, um, yeah, good luck for everybody else in, in their kind of footy seasons, whatever that will look like. And that concludes the 199th episode of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Each episode debuts every Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au, just click on Digital Radio, then Carnival. And also via the RSN Racing and Sport app, just tap on the Carnival tab. You can find the podcast later on Wednesday evenings and all throughout the week by simply going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at WARFradio.com, or just Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I look forward to having your company next week for a very special edition, our 200th episode. Until then, please keep in touch with us via social media, facebook.com, Instagram, Twitter, you just put slash WARF radio and that's where you can find us, including some stuff from our archives and previews of the next week's show. Until next time, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company and I look forward to joining you on our 200th episode.